Hello friends, welcome. Welcome to episode seven of Momentum, our special series, which is about everyday Americans and the struggle for freedom during the civil rights era. I'm Sharon McMahon, and welcome to the Sharon Says So podcast. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We've already talked extensively about J. Edgar Hoover and Thurgood Marshall. I've already told you that Thurgood Marshall was a secret FBI informant and that J. Edgar Hoover was wiretapping phone conversations of members of the Supreme Court. We've discussed many of the people involved in a Supreme Court case of the utmost importance. Brown versus the Board of Education. We've talked about Linda Brown and many of the other people who agreed to do the important work of ending racial segregation in the United States. Today, I want to chat with you about a man named Earl Warren. Earl Warren was a man born in the 1800s in California to Scandinavian immigrants. He eventually graduated from college and went to law school and then began a 50-year career and public service. He was a prosecutor in California and became widely known for going after things like organized crime, illegal gambling, prostitutions, things that were viewed as society's ills in the 1930s. Earl Warren made a name for himself prosecuting those people. And he later went on to do something that is basically unheard of in the United States today. He won both the Republican and the Democratic primary elections for governor of California. 
So needless to say, he was elected governor. In fact, he won three terms as governor of California. He eventually ran for vice president. He did not win the vice presidency, but his national prominence continued to grow. It was during that time that he started developing some bad blood with another California politician you may have heard of named Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon had presidential aspirations as well, and he wanted Earl Warren's support. And Earl Warren ultimately threw his support behind another man you may have heard of, Dwight Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower later made Richard Nixon his vice president. And of course, Richard Nixon went on to become the president who resigned in disgrace. But because Earl Warren openly campaigned for Eisenhower, Eisenhower promised Earl Warren that the first time a seat on the United States Supreme Court became available, that he would give it to him. In 1953, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Justice Vinson, had a massive heart attack and died in office shortly after Brown versus the Board of Education was argued. So Eisenhower made good on his promise. He nominated Earl Warren to the Supreme Court, really thinking Earl Warren is a man kind of like me. He's a man who transcends party, whose popularity is widespread, a pragmatic realist who cared about people. He was a man who dedicated his life to public service, just like Dwight Eisenhower. And so Eisenhower elevated Earl Warren to the role of Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. And he later deeply regretted that choice. I told you in a previous episode that the case Brown versus the Board of Education had to be argued twice. And the first time, as I mentioned, was when the previous Chief Justice, Fred Vinson, was still alive. And then it was re-argued after Earl Warren was seated. And one of the things I think is very, very interesting to note is that Earl Warren had never been a judge. He had worked as an attorney, as a prosecutor, but he had never worked in the judicial branch of government. And also, very interestingly, neither had four of the other Supreme Court justices in the early 1950s. It is very interesting to think that five of the nine Supreme Court justices in 1954 did not have meaningful judicial experience. One of them worked for a very brief time in a police night court, and the others had different types of governmental experience. But this ended up being quite consequential. They had a very broad diversity of viewpoints. So we, of course, know that Earl Warren was the governor of California, just as Frankfurter had been a law professor. William Douglas came from working at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Robert Jackson had been an attorney general. And Hugo Black is the one who had briefly been a police night court judge early on in his career. By contrast, of course, today's Supreme Court justices are professional judges. And being a professional judge certainly has its advantages. It really acclimates you to how the legal system works and what judicial thinking is like in ways that perhaps being an attorney general or a governor don't. The relationship between J. Edgar Hoover and Earl Warren began 
in the 1930s when Earl Warren was still working in California as a prosecutor. And we now have declassified documents that were uncovered and FOIA requested. By the way, a FOIA request stands for Freedom of Information Act, and that is where a private citizen can say to the government, I would like these papers, and as long as they are no longer classified and you are willing to pay a fee to get them, the government has to send them to you. And this FOIA request uncovered a program that was called Cooperation with Governor Earl Warren. And these files show that during the time period between 1948 and 1953, the FBI gave secret information to Earl Warren. In fact, in this document, J. Edgar Hoover had written, quote, he should be advised that the information is furnished in strictest confidence, end quote. So that is demonstrating that the FBI is telling Earl Warren things secretly. And these documents also reflect that the FBI sometimes did favors for Earl Warren, like providing him with a private car and driver. J. Edgar Hoover had written in these documents, whatever the governor requests, I want prompt attention recorded it. J. Edgar Hoover and Earl Warren would later part ways. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We've all had those embarrassing moments where maybe you've taken your shoes off and you realize, like, oh no, oh no, that is not a good smell. Fortunately, Lumi whole body deodorant is making it so none of us ever have to worry about that again. Unlike certain other products, Lumi is powered by mandelic acid to control odor in a new way. It delivers outrageous 72-hour odor control everywhere one might like to use it. In fact, it was patients' concerns about odor that originally inspired the OBGYN who invented Lumi. Fast forward six years and her game-changing whole body deodorant now has over 300,000 five-star reviews. And it works without using heavy perfumes that mask odor, which I really appreciate. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, which is my favorite, and two free products of your choice, like deodorant wipes or a mini body wash. It also has free shipping. And as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that's like 40% off their starter pack. So use code SHARON at lumideodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. Mother's Day is almost here. And I want to take just a quick second to appreciate not only my mom, all the moms out there, but anyone who has taken on the role of caregiver. You do everything for someone else. And now it's time to do something for yourself. And that includes starting with your skin. And I've been using our sponsor OneSkins products for a while now. And I have to tell you, 
I am really enjoying them. They are very easy to incorporate into my skincare routine. I am really liking the eye cream. And the secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS1 peptide. It is the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. And they have several studies to back it up. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code SHARON at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code SHARON. And after your purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support this show and tell them we sent you. Earl Warren also knew Thurgood Marshall before he became Chief Justice of the Supreme Court because in 1943, the family of a nine-year-old girl named Sylvia Mendez filed a lawsuit because Sylvia and her brothers were blocked from attending an all-white school in Orange County, California. The school district officials had told them, no, you know, you need to attend the Mexican school. And so on behalf of 5,000 other Mexican-Americans, the Mendez family filed a class action lawsuit. And ultimately, the outcome of that lawsuit, which Thurgood Marshall wrote a brief for, was that the Ninth Circuit, which is a section of the judicial branch, the federal judicial branch in the United States, the Ninth Circuit said school segregation violates the 14th Amendment. This is in the 1940s. And shortly after that, Governor Earl Warren signed a bill into law ending public school segregation in the state of California. I should also note that one of history's biggest criticisms of Earl Warren was that he was a very strong supporter of Japanese internment during World War II. Japanese internment was an official United States government program that forced Japanese Americans living on the Pacific coast of the United States to, in many cases, give up their businesses, give up their homes, and force them to move into internment camps away from the coast. The fear was that after Japan attacked Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, that people who were of Japanese descent might feel like they wanted to assist Japan. And FDR and other government officials like Earl Warren worked to relocate people of Japanese descent into internment camps further inland, in many cases in other states. Later in Thurgood Marshall's career, he was asked about when he headed to the Supreme Court to argue Brown versus the Board of Education for a second time. And the interviewer asked Thurgood Marshall, what did you think of Earl Warren going into the Brown case? And Thurgood Marshall responded, well, when Earl Warren was appointed by the president, I was given the job of finding out what he was all about. And I went out to California and I checked both sides. I checked the conservatives and the liberals, and all of them said the same thing, that the man was simply great great. And the two judges on the state Supreme Court, well, they both said, if he doesn't do right, you call us up and we'll come and kick his butt. 
except they didn't use the word but. <laughs> and the interviewer asked Thurgood Marshall, so you came into this case thinking, well, I got a chance. And Thurgood Marshall said, you're darn right. And that was the first time I thought we might have a five to four. Five to four decision. Of course, there's nine justices on the Supreme Court. And that is what Thurgood Marshall thought he had a hope of. He thought he had the hope of convincing five of those justices to see his side and to end legalized segregation in America's schools. Warren had already demonstrated that he was against school segregation, and he was determined as the new chief justice to try to get all nine justices to unanimously agree on the outcome of Brown versus the Board of Education. Earl Warren felt like if any justices dissented, that means disagreed, if any of them dissented, that it would be a license for segregationists around the country to say, we don't need to listen to that. We don't need to desegregate. It's only five people. They can't tell us what to do. Look at four people disagreed. Earl Warren saw that writing on the wall and wanted to erase it before it even happened. Thurgood Marshall later talked about how he had been informed that one of the Supreme Court justices, Justice Reed, had hired a law clerk specifically to write a dissent in Brown versus the Board of Education. Justice Reed knew that his words would be carefully scrutinized and he wanted to give it the proper attention it deserved, but he already knew going into it that he was going to dissent. He was not going to vote to end school segregation in the United States. So after Brown versus Board of Education was argued a second time, Justice Reed had been in the hospital and Chief Justice Earl Warren went to the hospital, brought Justice Reed the papers, the files from the case. And Earl Warren said to Justice Reed, it's up to you. Is it going to be you or the country? And Justice Reed thought about it for a moment and decided to vote with the other eight justices and create a unanimous Supreme Court opinion ending school segregation in the United States. Thurgood Marshall later recounted that as he was listening to the decision being read, Justice Reed, who checked himself out of the hospital to be there for the release of the opinion because he wanted that unanimity, he wanted that cohesive unit of nine men reading from the bench. Thurgood Marshall said Justice Reed would not stop staring at him. And so Thurgood Marshall started staring back at him. And Marshall was certain that Justice Reed was going to dissent because remember, he'd been informed about this law clerk who had been hired. And so Thurgood Marshall was shocked when a unanimous opinion was delivered. And Justice Reed later talked about how he just wanted to see the look on Thurgood Marshall's face. And so he never stopped staring at him during the entire time it was being read. Hi, friends. It's Sharon. If you enjoyed a recent episode with author and public theologian Issa McCauley, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you. No Small Endeavor, produced by Great Feeling Studios and PRX, No Small Endeavor is an acclaimed podcast series that explores what it means to live a good life. 
Each episode, host and award-winning theologian Lee C. Camp brings you thoughtful conversations with artists, philosophers, politicians, and theologians like Hollywood legend Rob Reiner and civil rights hero Reverend James Lawson about what it means to find true happiness and flourish in our everyday life. So don't miss out. Follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And tell them I sent you. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One of Earl Warren's biographers would later say that Earl Warren understood that a unanimous Supreme Court would couple a legal result with a sense of moral imperative. I also find this fascinating about the Brown versus Board decision. The court could have gone further. They could have ended all segregation in the United States and said that the 14th Amendment protects people from racial segregation and everywhere that it exists, it needs to stop. They could have done that, but they didn't. They stopped at ending school segregation. And Earl Warren did that purposely. He was worried that if the court issued an overly broad, sweeping judgment that all segregation needed to end immediately, that people would just ignore it. It would not have any effect. Nothing would, in fact, become desegregated. But because he was specifically ordering public schools, which are government institutions, to desegregate, the government itself has much more control over those institutions. And so even though it did not go so far as to end all legal segregation, it did have other positive effects. One of the things that it did was embolden civil rights activists. It gave them hope. It gave them encouragement. It allowed them to create more momentum to work for change. It led to desegregation efforts in other places. So Earl Warren had worried that if they went too far, it would result in chaos but if they kept it more narrow, their ability to enforce it would be greater. The opinion was purposely written in more plain English than many previous Supreme Court decisions. Supreme Court decisions use the vocabulary of the law. They're written for legal professionals, and it's not always the easiest thing for the average person to just sit down and read. It's not a best-selling novel. But they purposely crafted Brown versus the Board of Education so that the average white Southerner, the average segregationist, would be able to look at it and understand what it said. 
And this is one of the quotes from the Brown versus the Board of Education opinion written by Chief Justice Earl Warren. It said, segregation of white and colored children in public schools has a detrimental effect upon the colored children. Of course, remember that colored was a phrase that was socially acceptable to use at the time that we no longer use. The impact is greater when it has the sanction of the law. For the policy of separating the races is usually interpreted as denoting the inferiority of the Negro group. Any language in contrary to this finding is rejected. We conclude that in the field of public education, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place. Separate educational facilities are inherently unequal. So this decision was issued on May 17th, 1954. And the next day, May 18th, the New York Times said, the highest court in the land, the guardian of our national conscience, has reaffirmed its faith and the undying American faith in the equality of all men and all children before the law. The Washington Post said, it is not too much to speak of the court's decision as a new birth of freedom. Abroad as well as at home, this decision will engender a renewal of faith in democratic institutions and ideals. Rosa Parks was later interviewed about listening to the Brown versus Board of Education opinion. And she said, you can't imagine the rejoicing among black people and some white people when the Supreme Court decision came down in May of 1954. Many of us saw how the same idea applied to other things like public transportation. It was a very hopeful time. African-Americans believed that at last there was a real chance to change the segregation laws. And Martin Luther King said, for all men of goodwill, May 17th, 1954, marked a joyous end to the long night of enforced segregation. This decision brought hope to millions of disinherited Negroes who had formerly dared only to dream of freedom. And a letter sent by a man named William Patterson to Walter White, who was the secretary of the NAACP where Thurgood Marshall worked, said, Dear Mr. White, permit me to congratulate you on the great victory for democracy one under your leadership. The decision of the Supreme Court will have extremely far-reaching reverberations, even if it is not yet implemented. The struggle for much implementation, as will end the Jim Crow systems, can have a tremendous educational value. The opposition to the immediate ending of the practice of segregation indicates the demoralizing effect of segregated schools on white youth It has made bigots out of millions who have not learned in their separate schools that there are no superior people. You have rendered a great service. May it be a continuing one. Sincerely yours, William Patterson. And what he didn't know 
is that William Patterson would soon be imprisoned and men like him purged from the ranks of the NAACP because of J. Edgar Hoover. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast. I am truly grateful for you. And I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave me a rating or a review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All of those things help podcasters out so much. This podcast was written and researched by Sharon McMahon and Heather Jackson. It was produced by Heather Jackson edited and mixed by our audio producer, Jenny Snyder, and hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. I'll see you next time. And hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. I'll see you next time.